Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to today's Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with Fiona Clarence and Bill Hooptrap uh, from, off, the ro- from off On The Room. Now, Bill is the founder and CEO of On The Room and Fiona takes care of the Irish office. How's it going, guys? Great. Very Happy good. Wednesday. Yeah. So tell me a bit about your background, Bill. Background of me or a company? Both. Which one do you want first? That's good. We'll go with you first so we know a bit about you. All right. Uh, I was born uh, in the Black Cat. Wait a minute. No, that's the jerk. That's the movie with Steve yeah. Martin. So I'm from, I'll say the three stages that may be relevant to the listeners. One, I had a functional childhood. Yeah. West Michigan, loving family, big family. The first one to go to college. Yeah. No computers, no anything. And then wanted to be St. Francis for 10 years. I tried to live on no money for 10 years. I worked in family camps, orphanages, volunteers, started NGOs. I was happy with my clothes, my basketball. And then I went into internet, was accidentally successful. I co-founded a company called Cafe Media with Michael Sanchez and Andrew Hsu, which just hit number 16 on the U.S. web last month. Passed eBay, LinkedIn, on Comscore, 128 million unique visitors last month. And learned a little bit about the internet through that company. I was the dead weight in the trio, but we had a tremendous team and, and built a nice little tech company. And yeah. now Own the Room is our new company. And Fiona, what about yourself? My story starts on the Waterford Kilkenny border. Yeah. So I've never quite known exactly where I'm from. <laughs> and there's probably a, a theme that's run through my life in yeah. terms of where do I sit in terms of anything. I went to WIT. Left there and headed out into the big wide world and spent a few years in the in Jersey in the Channel Islands. Yeah. Everybody thought I was in New Jersey in the States, but I wasn't. Yeah. I was in the Channel Islands. And my career would have very much started in the area of HR, but arriving back in Dublin in September 2007, 8, yeah. when the, I missed the Celtic Tiger years, so spent about 10 years then right-sizing companies, outplacing, downsizing, yeah. outsourcing, and went full circle then to now be part of a company where we're now engaging employees, looking at potential, yeah. helping them to get their confidence back. So come full circle in terms of HR career. Right, and what does, what does All in the Room actually do? We started out training people in public speaking. Yeah. It's a big fear for a number of people, and more and more you have to get good at it for whatever your job is. And we're now expanding the sales training, leadership training, and tech and software yeah. so that we can scale more of what we do. Because I can imagine if you're somebody who's, who's, a, who's a, like I always think of somebody in a startup, and I ask people, who's Steve Jobs and who's Wozniak? Because one of the guys, is, Jobs is the guy who's, who's going to go to speaking, and Wozniak is the guy in background doing all the tech with stuff. But at times, you, you can't have two jobs, two Wozniak in the company. You've got to have one of each, and at times you've got to be able to switch jobs. So at times you're going to have a scenario where jobs can do what job and vice versa. You literally switch jobs. Yeah. So we get, we probably do, uh, the top 10 internet tech companies in the United States, we do dozens of trainings now for all of them. And we get the same thing. Our engineers, how, how do they get their story out there? How do they get people to understand them? How do they present and really be respected and appreciated yeah. for the hard work that they're doing? And they're so smart and they really know their tech, but how do you really get that message so people remember it? Here's the test. If somebody can remember what you said three days later, you delivered that message. Yeah. If they can't remember what you said three days later, you just presented yeah. that message. 
So whether it's the Wozniak in the background or the jobs in the front ground, all of us can get a little better at that. Yeah, because I've seen that guys and, and I said, you can speak. And they're, they're shy and he says, forget me shy. Just go out there and do it because you, you can do it. Just self-belief. Self-belief and just get in there and you get better, you get more comfortable. One of the things we've learned though, practice doesn't make you better. Practice makes you more comfortable. Yeah. So if 10 is the best speaker in the world, the average person in the business world is about a 4.1. Yeah. Not bad, not good. And when you do a lot of presentations or you run a lot of meetings, you get more comfortable, but you don't get better. When you learn a few techniques, tips and tricks, then you can zoom up to five, six, seven or eight and you yeah. can get really good quickly. Yeah, I've seen guys who, when they start off with their, their basically aren't great, but the more they do with it, they get better at it because comfortable with what they're doing and they feel less embarrassed, less shy and less struggling with what they're doing next. Oh. Yeah, so part of that is self-belief, as you said, yeah. but take meetings, for example. How many meetings are we all in? Do they automatically get better because we're in a lot of meetings? No, we just get more comfortable. But when you change up a few of the techniques of how you think about them, what's the goal, how you open, how you involve the audience, and just like in every industry, personalization is a trend, yeah. data is a trend, and customization is a trend. Get the audience involved. So we teach people how to make the audience the star, and you will shine more brightly. So when you can do a presentation where you make the audience feel great about themselves, you're going to also look good in comparison. Yeah. Also, if you can if you can sell them something that they want to hear, and say in such a way that they, oh, I get it. Where some guys cannot communicate very well, others can. So if you're selling a story or, 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 or selling something, and they understand what you're saying right away from the get-go, you've got them in your palm of your hand. Yeah, and I'm gonna ask Fiona to share. She and I and Martin, who runs our EMEA office, one of our best coaches in the whole world, Martin Garvey, happens to be based here in Dublin. And we did a session for Lean, and how many women were there in the room? Plus some men. Uh, upwards, upwards of 130, 140. 130, the top women leaders come together for a great evening, and we try to do some things that are not normal public speaking. Yeah. So instead of just get up there and give our content and give our tips and tricks, we did a couple things. I'll ask Fiona to share which ones she thought were most effective. But our whole goal is to make the audience the star. If you if we were to call those women, what do you think they would remember? Absolutely, the posting, the live posting on social media at the event. Whereas a lot of people would have talked about doing it and maybe I'll do it later or I'll do it yeah. in the morning. No, it was uh, no choice. We did it live in the room and nobody minded. Everybody smiled. Nobody, you know, objected to it. Yeah. So I think it was just that going and doing was a very powerful piece yeah. around that session. I guess it's to be, be, be yourself. Be yourself and be a little bit brave. Yeah, I'm always looking at that. Basically, when I'm in somewhere, I'm thinking, I'm going to be who I am. I'm not going to change because I'm in a certain scenario. I'm going to be the guy I always am, and what's not, if you don't like it, that's not my problem, it's yours. The way I think about it, Ronan, is charisma is a little bit, we've got your laptop open yeah. right here. If you have a power cord and you want to connect that power cord, where does it have to be plugged in? Well, I'm not sure where the nearest plug is. You'd be, well, if we plugged into yeah. the wall, but not the laptop, it doesn't work. Yeah, right. If we plug in the laptop, not the wall, it doesn't work. Yeah. And that's how charisma works. Yeah. When you are yourself, but you let the audience be themselves, yeah. then the electricity flows. True. So it's learning how to you be you, but then activate the audience and let them be them, yeah. then cool things will happen. And when the, what we did with the Lean In group is they said, we haven't figured out how to get posts on social media. <laughs> so as we thought about that, we did our normal presentation. We said, let's try something a little bit different. And we tried it and it worked. They, they had a blast posting everything on social media. Yeah. yeah. We had people standing on chairs. We had <laughs> yeah. good stuff going on. I was in the fence three months ago and it was to do with basically 
young kids who are sitting in school and learning about social media and how they can get jobs on computers. And when you walked in, there are some people in the audience, would you mind actually signing on this board and say what you wanted to be when you were younger, what your ideal job was? And my ideal job when I was about second or eight was to be a person with a, with a beard in New York. Because I've seen all these cop shows on TV, like, how I want to be that. And then when they went after, when during the conference, they were actually taking pictures and tweeting what were the best posts. And like mine, because I stood out, because I was honest. Most of the people were just saying, I wanted to be a lawyer or an accountant. I said what I really wanted to be when I was younger. Most people didn't do that. And if you, if you actually stayed what you wanted to be and who you are and be honest about it, you're going to get more coverage because they like your honesty. I think they crave authenticity. Yeah. We crave transparency. We did a test of what people remember the most and what they forget. And the, things that, the three things that people remember the most, if you want to develop a reputation as a good speaker, it's three things. D-E-V. Yeah. Be different be emotional and be visual yeah and when you're those three you stand out and you in the brain people remember you more than everybody else because yeah, i always so you were different yeah. so you said i want to be like kojak i want to be that guy in new york yeah. up in new york and it had a little emotion with it and we can visualize what you're saying as you're saying it uh, she someone says lawyer there's not emotion you yeah. can't quite visualize what it means and it's not that different yeah i always felt when i, I always felt basically this is what i wanted to be now and if i got older that phase out of me grew, grew away. I said, no, that's not going to happen. But the, well, the day is young. Yeah, a day, but I just can't see myself actually, but where I am now, I'm happy with what I do now. But back then, I thought, I want to do that. And then three days later, I wanted to get involved in computers and be a programmer. And then that kind of went and died, and I'm doing what I'm doing now, which is this, but I'm still involved in tech, but in a different way. One of the questions I had asked, it'd be interesting to have your listeners weigh in if they do social media with you, Ronan, but... I sometimes ask people, careers are very different the way we think about them. Yeah. There's more than one right answer to most of life's questions. So I'll give you both a question, may I? Yeah, yes. go ahead, yeah. So if you think about your career, I'll give you four or five categories. You could say, I'm more of this one, I'm more of that one, or none of them, I'm, I'm a different category. Yeah. For some people, their career is like a mountain, whether mm-hmm. it's a tech career or another. So I know exactly what I want to get to the top of that mountain, I want that job, I want to roll. The second option is my career is like a river. I don't really know where the river's going, but I trust that the river knows its way to the sea, and around every corner it's kind of interesting, but I don't know where my career's going. Number three, my career is like a bus stop. I don't create opportunities. Things just happen to me, and I get on the bus, and I follow where it goes. Yeah. Or my career is like a rocket ship. I'm going to start here, I'm going to take off overnight. The last option, it's like a camper. I go for here for a couple of years, I'm gonna go over here for a couple of years, I'm gonna go over here for Of those five choices, let's start with Ronan. Which one or none of them applies to your career? Maybe a rocket ship, because rocket ship. I know basically when I'm taking off, I'm not sure where I'm going to land or when I'm gonna land, but I know that when I land somewhere, it's gonna be an interesting journey, and it has been for me. I have all, the past six years, my career has changed so much that I want to do one thing, then I realize I can't do that. What can I do that still gets me involved in this area? I did this. Very good. Fiona? I'd probably waver between two moving into three. Yeah. Uh, I'm now quite comfortable to say I'm, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I, but I used to be, I don't even want to grow up. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to be comfortable saying yeah. that. But I think it's actually much more acceptable these days. However, I'm reaching the stage of my life where I'm starting to make things happen for myself as well, as opposed to just sitting back and waiting. 
But your personal life, I think, has a huge influence on it as well, and what stage of life you're at and where yeah. you're at. So that can. You know, for me, also, I found that when you're starting your career, I, I was. I finished a master's course in collective reading about eight, nine years ago, and I got involved in a couple of startups. Both didn't work out, but I knew I wanted to stay in the tech area. So I started blogging, and then from blogging, got into journalism, and then from that, I got into podcasting. So everything has been a progression, one after the other. It was a, so you can see the steps to where I came from, from where I was to where I am now. And in the future, who knows, I could be end up actually doing a video cast. I, I don't know, but, but a year ago, I started doing a radio show in America as well. That's awesome. Just, just music, but the fact is I'm, I'm now doing that as well. So um, every year I'm doing something different than I had done the year before, but it's all progression. You all fit in. That's how, how much do you enjoy it all? Well, the music show I enjoy the most because I get to do most of the playlist. And it's just, it's just fun doing that because I've got a friend who's an American, Villanova at college, university. And he works in a station there. And once a week we just come together and just do a show on radio. And we just pick whatever you want and play them within reason, it's great. That makes me happy. One of the things I lose sleep over is is feeling like so many people in the world don't get a chance to fulfill their potential. Yeah. Whether it's because of poverty, whether it's because of some other issue, or we, we have the opportunities, but we're not taking advantage of them. It drives me crazy. We want to own the room. We want to help Martin, Fiona, and I, but also our colleagues around the world. We want to unleash everybody's potential. And as we coach people, one of the things we notice is that a lot of times our joy-stress ratios are upside down. Yeah. We're all stressed out even when we're succeeding. We're not enjoying it as much. We're not having it. Of course, there should be hard work and a little bit of stress. Some stress actually makes us better. But we need to keep that fun factor up. Otherwise, why are we doing it? Yeah, two years ago, I did a radio show here in Ireland, which is basically a tech show. And it was going fine for three months. But after a while, I got bored because... <laughs> the main guy in the show was doing tech reviews of gadgets, and I think you can't be a gadget properly if you can't see it. So I said, that didn't work out too well to me, and then I was just reviewing what events had been during the week and latest tech news. And after a while, I got bored because I said, nothing here interests me at all because I'm not getting to really show what I want to do, and I, and I just thought, that's not what it should be. And I thought, if it did a tech show, if it did a show again, I want to do a tech show, but with my own slants. Now I'm doing music, I won't go near tech again on the radio because music is great. It's what I love as well. Yeah, what's better in radio than music? Yeah. And getting to enjoy and uh, getting people to enjoy what you're doing and you can ask them, what song do you want to hear? And they can, uh, on social media, say, can you play this song with people next week? And that's great. And you'll see that trend in public speaking, you're going to see that trend in tech, but it's just more and more ask the audience what they want. Yeah. In the early days of tech, 1999, when we started Cafe Media, I remember it well. There was one search engine, and everybody said, don't even try to go after them. It's game over. They, they're going to crush everybody. Yeah. It was called Alta Vista. I remember that very well. Things can change very quickly. But there was this feeling that, that you know, everything is possible. Yeah. And, and, but have fun, give it a try, see what happens. Yeah, I look at that. When I, what I'm doing now, I've had fun along the way. I've had good times and bad times, but thing, but I've learned from my mistakes. Like, when I'm doing radio now, I tell my co-host... You make a mistake, that's fine. So when I do podcasts, I can go back and edit the mistakes. When I'm doing live video, I can't. So it makes me a better person because no, 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 I'm live. I can't call because I'll joke live on air, make a mistake, or laugh too much. I've got to be conscious of the people who are going to hear what we're saying. And if they hear me or you joking a lot or making mistakes openly all the time, they're not going to trust us. 
Yeah, I and I also tell them, think about the audience. The audience matters, yeah. not the speaker. Yeah. So when we coach people, do a lot of TV, a lot of radio, a lot of the big networks in the U.S., we coach them. I said, also think if it's material to the audience. So let's say Fiona's on, the, on your radio show and she's telling the story about the president. And so it was President Clinton at the White House, and it was a Tuesday, and here's what happened, blah, blah, blah. And then later on, she realizes, oh, it wasn't a Tuesday, it was a Wednesday. Yeah. Should she go back and fix that? No, because it's not really material yeah. to the story. If it was, oh, no, it wasn't President Clinton, it was President Bush, oh, yeah, that you have to correct, yeah. because it would really be, to the audience, that would be material. Yeah. So always think about what really matters to them. Yeah. I'm always making sure that when I'm doing that, and when I see somebody giving a talk, I always look and see how, how they wreck uh, the audience. And if they see the audience are actually enjoying what they're doing, will they change or will they keep doing what they're doing? Because I think people give them a speech, and first two, three minutes, they're trying to get the audience trust. And if they don't give in three minutes, so how are they going to cope for the next 20 minutes after that? Yeah, exactly. We see it seven seconds, then 23 seconds, yeah. and then three minutes. So in seven seconds, a new study just came out of Harvard, you judge everybody you meet within seven seconds on two dimensions. Do they know what they're doing, and can you trust them? Yeah. It's a very Cro-Magnon Neanderthal assessment that we make. And then within 20, 30 seconds, you're, you're judging whether you want to listen more or less. Your filters will go up yeah. or down, and that can be based on how much weak language they use, filler words. Yeah. For example, when we're teenagers, we say, like, you know, what, man, yeah. man, dude. And then we go to university, and we learn better brand of weak language. Yeah. In other words, my point is, let me just add, but the words that mean nothing. Yeah. And subconsciously, they get the audience to tune you out when you use that kind of language. So as you learn to get rid of those, yeah. and have your first 20 seconds be a scene or something, a question, we rank the nine biggest kinds of openings, yeah. and number one is a problem. If you give the audience a problem, you're instantly getting them hooked. Yeah. Number two is a question, but there's a correlation between what grabs audiences and what makes them tune out. Yeah, if you give a problem that they actually would face daily or, or, or basically in enough times to know this is what, what I could face, I've faced in the past, and then you're giving them a, a solution, they then get hooked in and that's it. Yes, even especially if you don't give them a solution. Yeah. I'll give you an example and just kick me under the table if you don't want all, all the theories, Ronan. But whenever something works or doesn't work, we do dial testing yeah. technology. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. With the old the, in presidential debates in the U.S. that CNN or Fox, they would have a, 50 people with a dial. So the politicians would debate and the people in the audience would de- turn the dial 100. I agree with what yeah. he or she said or I disagree. And they would have a, a wire yeah. showing how much people agree or disagree. They use the same technology to test commercials, what part of the commercial people like, don't like, etc. Yeah. And we use it to test thousands of speakers. So we know, wow, when this happens, it goes up 10%. When this happens, it goes down 6%. So we start to then figure out why that happens. Why does a problem work? And, well, you can't compare people to animals, right? That's yeah. not politically correct. I'll get in trouble on the podcast. Yeah. Well, let's do it anyway. Really smart people are like alligators. Yeah. Can you train alligators to line up to do what they're supposed to do? No. How do you motivate an alligator? Live bait. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You throw some meat there, they will go crazy to get the meat. So smart people, your live bait is problems. Yeah. If you give a smart person, say, we don't know what to do about this. We don't know the answer to this. Their brain just starts racing because they want to figure it out. But if you're the speaker or and you say, I have all the answers, you just sit there, you become the problem. True. Oh, yeah, you're not that smart. You haven't got it all figured out. But if you give the audience a meaty problem to solve, you've got them eating out of the palm of your hand. 
and if you're at a conference and uh, your mothers don't give the answer and have the mappers talking about it, so they're all in rapture, what do you what do you think the answer is? That works as well. That works as well, especially mm. when it's a real question, not a fake yeah. question. So if you say, hey, here's a big tech thing that we're all wrestling with. For example, one of them is diversity. Yeah. So diversity, all the tech companies are wrestling with the same thing. We want more women at the top roles. We want more uh, diversity, we want more ethnic groups. And they really care and they're really yeah. doing it. But then they're hiring people and sometimes it's working out and sometimes <laughs> it's not. And they're really frustrated. So if they were to say to everybody, we have all the answers, that's not truthful. They, but if they say, let's brainstorm, each table come up with your best idea, yeah. and let's share some of those out loud, that's a real question. It's yeah. a real problem, so the conversation's real, and it gets people galvanized. Yeah, because I, I hate when, when somebody says, oh, like, oh we've, we're into diversity. My view is, well, diversity shouldn't come into it. It should be basically the best for the job. It doesn't matter where you're from. So if you're saying now we're in diversity, I would say, well, hold on a second. I'd look at somebody... And just because you've got to have a quota of certain ethnicity or certain kind of uh, sex, men and women, I said, forget that. If you hire somebody because of that and that person isn't good for the job, what have you done? It's the best person for the job, she get it, regardless. Yes, and mm. and what was, your, what was your dad saying about what was the three versions? Uh, oh, it's three sides to every story. Yeah. <laughs> Mine isn't the truth. But it's always about hiring the best person, yeah. regardless of whether you put in quotas or not. But sometimes I think that we do need to be putting in these extra steps because yeah. in certain situations it is too sweet on one side. And there's a bias. We tend to hire people who think like us. One of the most powerful, Scott Page wrote a great book for the University of Michigan about the mathematics of yeah. diversity. And he proved out, he said, it's not just the Crest commercial being politically correct. He said, it's about math. It, they took teams of people people who were experts on an issue and people who are not experts yeah. on the issue. And sometimes the teams who are not experts outperform the experts. Yeah. Because the experts sometimes get in their own way. Yeah. And the non-experts say, we have no idea. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. And they would beat them. So diversity of thought becomes something you want on a team. Yeah. You guys are too young to remember, like in the 80s, some of the management theories around Kickstarter thinker. Have you ever heard this theory? I have, yeah. So the, the crude version is the there's two kinds of people. The Kickstarters just go make things happen, and the thinkers actually think it through and have a plan. But people tended to hire the one like them. So Kickstarters hired other Kickstarters, but then guess what happened? They started a million things, yeah. and yeah. it wasn't working. The thinkers hire other thinkers. They plan it through, but they never get started. Yeah. So the best thing to do is to hire people who are different than you. You drive each other a little bit crazy. You pull each other's hair out at times, but you make each other stronger. You build really cool stuff. So that's how diversity is supposed to work. Yeah. I, I, I hate it when you have a company and uh, everyone is, is thinks the same way as, as the leader of the company. you got to be different. I mean, if you look at uh, Apple, Jobs and Wall is so, so different, but yet they did so well together because Jobs and Wall knew what each of his uh, limits were and what they could have do. And they tested the limits with friction. Yeah. You know, so everybody drives each other a little batty at times, but that's good. All learning happens outside the comfort zone. Yeah. All change happens with creative friction. So energy comes from conflict. Yeah. You know, the light bulb right above our table here, Ronan, yeah. has electrons that at their base atomic level are smashing into each other. No smashing, no energy. Yeah. So it's how do you create friction that creates something cool as opposed to, you know, hurts each other. Yeah. And that's, I mean, if you go to any of the big tech companies now, and we work with all of them, there's nonstop tension. 
Yeah, but there's also goodwill and caring, and the mission kind of makes everybody, okay, let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. You're a good person. I'm a good person. Let's look at this from a couple angles. Let's find a breakthrough. You got times you get something where you get a, a company that's run by one person only. He runs with, with an iron fist. Another thing gets done because it's his way or no way. And 10 years later, that company's still there because that guy's probably got money to keep it going. But they're, they're not going to get much business done because they're not willing to experiment or try something different. Yes, and leadership is situational. There's times when you know what a camel is. Yes. What's well, a camel? A horse that was designed by a committee. Yeah. Okay. So it's when you get too much decision-making, everything dies as well. Yeah. So you're trying to find, and there's certain times when you need to create everybody's involved and everybody's voice is being heard, and there's certain times, like, you just got to make the tough call and get everybody yeah. going. And you're trying to read what's the right time, and it's always a judgment call. You get a time you get in, you're in the meeting, and everyone's saying something different, and they think, well, which do we go with? You get some, you've got the balls to go and say, we're going with this, and why we're doing this. Well, our CEO is a former Apple guy, and he, he has a great way of thinking about it, Gary D'Angelo. So what he'd say is, when you're the leader, say, look, here's what I'm trying to get us to. On this project, I want to get us to here, this yeah. spot up on the mountain. I'm not exactly sure. I've got some ideas on how to get there, but I want to open it up to the team, to the alligator, yeah. and say, what's a better way to get there? What's a more efficient way to get there? Or if you have a different suggestion, great. There was a woman who used to work at the White House for under President Clinton named Sylvia Matthews Burwell. And she ran the Gates Foundation and she's now president of American University. And she taught me a tip. She said they used to do something called beat the plan. Have you ever heard this concept? No. no. So she said in the White House, you know, they would only have like eight seconds to work on an issue. Yeah. <laughs> it was a really important issue. So whoever was in charge of something would say, All right, here's what happened in Kazakhstan, here's my plan. They would thump their plan on the table and say, Beat the plan. And they would tell everybody around the table, around the cabinet, make the plan a little bit better, yeah. make it a lot better, or propose an entirely different plan. And if nobody says, boo, that's the plan, and nobody can give me any crap later yeah. because you had a chance. But my goal, I'm still deciding, it's my project, but my goal is to make it better. Yeah. So I'm open to little things, medium things, or big things that would make it better, but it makes the process very efficient because you're trying to come up with the yeah. best plan, but you're open to everybody's ideas. But it's a meritocracy, it's not a, it's not just a, well, it was her idea, it's his idea, so they yeah. have more power, so we have to go with their ideas. And I hate it when somebody has an idea and suddenly is hijacked as if uh, it's not theirs anymore. Yes, and there's times when that politics becomes bad, but yeah. there's also times I coach people, say, who are often shy, and they'll say, well, Bill, halfway through the meeting, I haven't said anything, and I try to think of something clever, and I think of something clever, but they already changed the subject. What should I do? So one, ask a question within the first three minutes of the meeting. Yeah. And you start to show up yeah. emotionally. Second is don't be afraid of half-baked thoughts. Sometimes half-baked ideas are better for a group. Well, I just have a thought. I don't know where it goes, and the group builds on it. And partly it could be hijacked in a bad way, yeah. but it could also be built in a good way because you had the courage to lay it out there. Yeah, I've been to times I've seen that meeting and people in the room, and they're afraid to ask a question. And when times get asked a question, they don't because what wanted to say has already been said. So they're thinking, what do I say? And if we don't say anything, I'm going to look bad being here, being a lone voice doing nothing. How do I look important? Well, one way I tell people is ask short, open questions. Yeah. So five words or less. So for example, let's say Fiona's our big boss, Ronan, and she's yeah. Uh, going through all this information. Section A is clear, yeah. section B is clear, and halfway through section C, she says something that's not clear. We should ask a question of less than five words. Yeah. 
can you say more about that? What do you mean by that? Why is that so important? But when we do that, are we helping our boss or hurting the boss? Helping. Helping, yeah. Helping the group or hurting the group? Helping, helping. the group. Yeah. Helping ourselves or hurting ourselves? We show up as having more executive presence, more gravitas, but all we really did was ask a short, open question. And we didn't tell her to shut up. We just told her, can you, can you go back on that? Because if I wasn't clear, maybe somebody else wasn't. But it's having the courage to just do it, but it can be very quick where you can have a powerful impact. I guess basically, just say, I didn't quite get it, but do it in such a way that you don't hurt them when you're doing that. Yeah, and you, it's so important that you want them to go over that yeah. again. Say, can you go over that? Why is that true? Why does that matter? I agree with you, we need to expand in APAC, but why? What, say a little bit more of the reasons. And you're almost always doing them a favor because when you get them to expound on the why, the emotional buy-in goes up. I guess it's worse if you're afraid of hurting your boss. Well, maybe it's, the boss will like you because you're honest and you're, you're actually saying, I got it, but not fully. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, and we get that kind of question a lot too about how do I, I'm, I'm nervous when the boss or the big boss is in the room. So I said, think of it a little bit differently. He said, let's say you have four student workers, Ronan, who work for you for the summer. And three of them are like this. Uh, Tech doctor, can you please approve my report? Uh, is there anything else you want me to do? But the fourth one comes over and says, Ronan, here's my report, but I need five minutes tomorrow. I have some ideas to make the program even better next yeah. summer. Of the four student workers, you can only keep one for the fall. Which one do you want? The last one. Why? Because he, he's got uh, new, uh, new ways of improving things from his experience. The first three treated you as if you were superior. Yeah. The fourth one treated you as if you were a peer, but with respect. Yeah. You have to show respect for that, for your boss, their experience, yeah. their title, their position, who they are. But if you think of them as a peer with respect, Good and morning, what you want in that student worker is what your bosses want in you. Yeah. And we coach them all at the same time. It's like, how do we, Bill, how do we get our people to be more courageous, be more bold, yeah. and just 5 10% braver with yeah. some of their ideas, and that's what they're looking for. Because I think if you're brave, there's more chance they're going to notice that. And also feel that if you respect your peer in a certain way, don't like be sick panic and go and gush at them. You respect them in a way that they think, this guy likes what I'm doing, but he's not doing it to kiss ass. He's doing it yeah. because he means it. Yeah, be authentic. Yeah. I really like this. I really like this. I don't agree with that. I didn't understand that. But just be authentic. And they admire, if, France, if you go and tell them actually what you think and why, they'll admire that more than somebody you're just going to go and brown nose because they think the best way to get into your, into your good books is to brown nose you. Be honest with them and they'll, they'll respect you more. There was a study on CEOs who take over turnaround companies. They come into a company where there's lots of problems. If the company says, you guys are great, it's fine, there's no problems, they're not respected. If they come in and say, here's the real issue, we're doing this well, but we're doing this badly, and we gotta fix it, though they're respected more because yeah. they're telling the truth. Yeah, like I, it. yeah, I hate it when someone comes in and they, they actually, they want to uh, stay in good books and they won't actually tell you what, what's wrong. I, I want to know what's wrong because if you know what's wrong, you can fix it a lot easier. Yep, we can't face every problem, but we can't solve any problem unless we face it. Yeah. So just calling it out, but also focusing on the positives. Yeah. You don't want to knock over all the apple carts at once. Everybody, every company's doing some things right. Every team's doing some things right. Every person's doing something yeah. right. And one of the ways to address weaknesses is to build strengths. For sure, in public speaking, if you want to get really good, focus on your strengths, yeah. adding more techniques, and some of the weaknesses will melt away as you go. And I guess also, if you make sure that basically, you can't pick and choose which problem to solve right away, but by, by going through them and maybe together decide which ones are more important, that could yes. help. 
prioritizing, yeah. short-term, long-term balancing, all that makes a lot of sense. And a lot of people actually don't do that. They just, they just have a list and they just go with list from right down to follow list. They don't look at it and prioritize which is which. Yes, prioritizing is a really hard thing because the other reason people do the list is the easy things are more emotionally satisfying because yeah. you can knock them out. There's a study that came out recently that I think is probably apocryphal. I think it's probably made up. Yeah. But it still makes a good point. <laughs> that 15% of CEO problems in their inbox at 8 a.m. will solve themselves by noon if the CEO just stays out of it. Yeah. But as a CEO, because we're alligators and we want to solve the problems, 8 a.m., I see this problem in my inbox. Oh, I know what to do here. Call this person, call this person, fix this, do that, and I help solve the problem. But I didn't need to. Somebody else could have done it, and I just wasted 11 minutes that I could have used yeah. on a bigger problem that needed more energy. Yeah, because at times you find that basically you're sticking your nose in when you shouldn't have to. Yeah. Because you get somebody else who can do the job, like your assistant would probably know what you would know. Contact Jim or Bill, they know what to do with this. Or Fiona, yeah. they can fix this. Rather than having you do that, so. Yeah. yeah. So why don't then do some people avoid certain conversations? Or what's the, the trick for yeah. uh, not avoiding certain conversations? Yeah. How do we get that balance right? Yeah, because I found that at times you, you don't know which is more important. How do you feel? You said, what's your life balance? How, how do you make sure it's perfect? Yeah, uh, it comes back to that, that piece that we're looking at at the moment around managers and coach and, and supporting managers to become coaches, for example, and having those head-on conversations and not avoiding the discussions. So I'm just interested in what would your advice be around how to approach those kind of conversations? Well, one, just really come right directly to it. So if you're delivering a tough message, someone's a low performer or you have to let somebody go, or somebody has a problem but they don't want to face it, just get right into it. So we can teach you four simple techniques on how to do that. But also do it from a point of love. Nobody cares how much you know unless they know how much you care. Yeah. So f perfect is not your friend. Better is your friend. So if people think they have to be perfect, they're always going to fail. But if they think, I just want to try to be a little yeah. bit better, like Ronan said before we even started the podcast, hey, I think every day is a chance for me to learn a little bit and love my craft. LeBron James was doing an interview. I never met LeBron James, but an interview where I, I love something he said. Yeah. He said, I love it when people love their craft. Yeah. He said, I don't care if you cut hair, I don't care what your job is, but if you love your craft, you're always trying to pick up little tips and tricks, and you just love learning it. And you love passing on those things you learn. So as a manager, you're trying to help everybody get a little bit better, get everybody to fall yeah. in love with their job. And along the way, yes, we can get a little bit better at this and be more direct on that, but that's part of it. And if they see how much you love your job, they're more willing to get involved because they see you like what you're doing and they want to do that as well. Yeah, if you, if you love it, you're gonna keep, you're gonna find a way, but if you don't love it, you're just gonna kind of go through the motions. Yeah, I feel like sharing a love rather than enough, because when, when you're, and like on your podcast, if I didn't like what I was doing, I wouldn't be still doing them to this day, and I'd find a way of making them boring and monotonous, but I don't. And every time I do a podcast, it's different. Like, I don't know, when I'm doing one, who's going to be next on my podcast, which is great. So therefore, the audience don't know either. I want to publish it. I'm not sure what's going to be next and what's not going to be next. I think that's it for, for all of us. I think we're in the room. We love helping people. We love building new trainings, building new systems, new software. But it's all around solving real problems that people have. Yeah. You know, how do I make our managers stronger? How do we get better at strategic planning? How do we get better at keynote speeches, being on panels? And almost every module we've built started with a client problem. Yeah. This company says, hey, we, we got to go on TV. How do we get our people ready? 
and then you help them get better and better. And I guess basically, if you want to be, if you want to be, to be more well known, you got to appear more in public. Yes. And be seen as an expert in an area, even though you might be an expert, if you're seen as one, that helps. And you you, you got to put in a lot of reps. Yeah. You know, when I did my book, the publisher told me, first, don't think you're going to make any money off this book. It's for some reason, it's always the eighth book that sells. Yeah. It makes good money, but it's the same with TV. It's it's the first interview, that first podcast. No, you got to get out there. You got to get your story out and keep learning and listening to people as, as well. Little by little, you build the brand. Little by little, you get that movement going in the right direction. Yeah, it's all about, in a way, branding yourself, and people remember a brand rather than a name at times. Yes. I love the analogy that we use as well, though, around the accountant. How do you expect the accountant to come along and to know everything about the books when you don't actually yeah. train her or him to be an accountant? So yeah. none of this stuff actually can be taught and is about knowing the tips and techniques to it. I look at them even in principles. When the one person who got rid of Akapong was actually the accountant and not the, not the uh, tough guys. <laughs> so he, he was taught basically how to be a tough guy, how to handle a gun, but that wasn't his main job. <laughs> That, who, know, who knows where it's going to go in yeah. the future? So, that, so that's the new push in tech is make sure all accountants have guns. Yeah. So, I, could, I, could, I, could, I remember watching the movie and as it was going on, the cat was a guy in the corner reading the books and suddenly he says, yeah, we're going to go and do a bust. And there he is with, with a shotgun involved in the bust. And the end, one guy who got Capone was this accountant guy in the corner. And I think, this... So that's basically real life. My wife, Maria, was saying that the other day is that they got him on taxes. Yeah. They didn't get him on the other side. Yeah. Well, as you, as you hear in your, your experience with your listeners and everybody else, what's the kind of tech stuff do you think that they're wrestling with when it comes to presenting or being their best selves? Well, I guess the problem with them is they're not sure if, if the product they have they want to sell it, is, is people going to use it. And at times it could be something that's basically too new or too old. Like something could be something you stopped when it's 10 years old and they're still selling it. Even though in real world we've all moved to the cloud and they're not on the cloud yet. How do they sell? How do they move to the cloud? Or what? Or do we still keep what we have at the moment? It's going. There's somebody who is looking at blockchain, for example, and they're not sure what blockchain is. And they, all they know is, oh, blockchain to do with Bitcoin, but it's more than that. But they don't know what it is because they don't go out and educate themselves on what, what, what it is. And I think what we've seen when we coach people is we're happiest when we learn and grow. Yeah. So we tell people is if there's a concept you don't understand just look it up yeah watch a couple of videos on it okay blockchain i get it here's the technology here's the core concept here's how bitcoin uses it here's how this could use it how's our industry going to use it it's relevant or yeah. it's not relevant but it's just some of these systems are not going away the i have a corny bill line and joke for anything but yeah. if i'd say the internet personally i think is a fad it's probably not going to catch on yeah maybe another two weeks tops but on the off chance that it sticks around, like rock and roll, let's get good at it. Let's yeah. get good at video. Most people, when they are communicating, you conference calls, but it's regular phone. Yeah. Get on video. And once you're on video, learn to use the chat box. Learn to use the tools. Learn to make it call more engaging. Yeah. And when you can get the average meeting efficiency in the business world is 37%. Yeah. It's very low. But once you know a few tips and tricks, you can get to 45, 50, 55, even 60. It's very, very doable. But then your meetings get shorter, you get more done, you get yeah. more energy, you can go home earlier. Yeah, it's also predicting what you think the future could, could be like. When I was in college back in the early 90s, we did a project on a business, and I chose one of the garage and said, how is the garage going to make money? I said, the idea is in the long term, somebody could actually go online uh, into the garage and actually buy spare parts. And at the time I was in the UK, and at that time, internet 
kind of wasn't what it is now. It was, it was just starting off. I said, well, they have to go onto, this, onto their website, onto this page they have online, and they can either pay to buy things or, or to book a service. And then boss goes, well, let's take off. I said, well, who knows? But I'm always thinking ahead, so I'll think back. And what I thought of then is, is now second nature. It's happening. Mm-hmm. It is second nature. Yeah. It's getting over that. I was going to say it's getting over that fear of failure as well. I yeah. think it's one of the reasons why I got the job at Own the Room was because I was able to tell my, my failure story. <laughs> I quite felt very comfortable putting my hands up and talk about failure and what I learned. Um, but it's also about helping people to understand concepts yeah. as well, I think. And that's where maybe mortals like ourselves get lost along the way in terms of when concepts are very technical yeah. and how do we bring them to life a little bit more for yeah. those who don't understand. Yeah, I always say, if, if you're going to fail, fail better next time because you don't have to make mistakes. And that... well, yeah. The other thing, when, when you're analyzing leaders and helping people find a breakthrough, I'd say yeah. part of this problem is usually the way we see the problem. Yeah. So we think failure is bad, but what's another way to look at it? In the early days of internet, I'm an old dinosaur in, in internet, and we used to say, if you don't have two public failures on your resume every decade, Adam Grant has a great column on this, he's on our advisory board, if you don't have two public failures on your resume every decade, you're not taking aggressive enough position, you're playing it too safe. And so look at it differently, that it's okay. The other thing, we're talking about diversity, and there's a study on why so many companies are started by white males. Did you hear the reason why? Have you heard this one? No. Because... It's oftentimes the eighth company that makes it. Yeah. I'm over exaggerating the stats, but let's say you've got this rich white kid in the suburb. He starts a little. He has a little business in middle school. It fails. He starts one the summer in high school. It fails. Starts one in summer in college. It fails. But what do mom and dad do every time he fails? Bail him out. Bail him out. Encourage him. Get right back in there, Johnny, Sally, and they jump back in. But same person in the inner city, just as smart, just as good ideas, but they don't get started till couple of years after college. Yeah. They got one up off the ground, almost made it, it failed. Started in the world, almost failed. But after one or two, what do they do? They give up. Why? Yeah. They haven't got the funding. And they think they can't do it. Yeah. They, they don't believe they can do it. There's nobody giving them, giving them no the encouragement. You got this. I yeah. failed my first six times too. You got this. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. So that's the only difference. There's no difference in ability. There's no difference in merit. It's just more chances. Okay. So part of what we want to do is to have that for ourselves and say, okay, I couldn't quite get this sport right. I couldn't learn this instrument. I couldn't get this business yeah. going. But let me take a step back. Let me get another partner. Let me try again. You'll get there. Just keep trying. Yeah, well, in Ireland, if you fail once, that's seen as, as something that people don't like to see. Whereas in America, if you fail it three times, you've made it in certain ways. It, yeah, there's extremes, that, the ex- exceptions that prove the rule. But if someone, it used to be too, you can't leave your company because you can't come back yeah. if you leave. That, those days are done. If somebody leaves the company after 10 years and they go to a startup and then do another startup and they both fail for a year, I can't wait to get them back. Yeah because they've got a lot more gumption, they've got more experience, they've got more guts, and you learn more running a failed startup than any business school I've ever heard of. Business school is great, by the way, recommended if you you want to do it. But it's just the way we see failure. You know, Thomas Edison is just one more more filament that didn't work. Or look at Steve Jobs, when he left Apple, he spent a year searching for what am I going to do next, and the next thing you do when you found the next computer and they got involved with Pixar, it made him made him a, a better business person. Almost every great success, successful person in history had those really tough times. Yeah. They got beat up, they got bruised, but that's not what makes the narrative. You know, the narrative is Abraham Lincoln did this, not the eight elections that he lost. Yeah. 
but the, the idea to learn and listen and, and say, okay, let me try again. But it's not trying just to make myself a star. It's because I really want to solve this problem. I really want to help this group. I really want to help, help society in some yeah. way. Like Prodigal Son, you, you, you come back, and when you come back, you, from the mistakes you, you made in the past are gone because you know why you made them, and you've, you've got redemption now. I want to prove I'm worthy of being back here. The other thing I noticed with a lot of tech folks is we put ourselves in boxes, we stereotype ourselves based on age. Yeah. I was coaching somebody who was the head of the biggest university system in the U.S., and he said, he called me the next day, he said, Bill, you asked me a question and I gave you a very flippant answer, but then I thought about it at last night and I didn't like my answer. Yeah. He said, you asked me if your career was a mountain, are you on your way up or on your way down? And I gave you kind of an off-the-cuff answer, but I thought about it, I said, you know what, I've been acting like I'm on the way down, yeah. and that's not what I want. So sometimes we're in our 40s or 50s, we think, okay, we're on the back slope. I just need that one more big job. I just need that one more thing. No, that's not the way to think about it. You know, you may, ha- you may be healthy into your 70s or 80s. What are you going to do with yeah. this time? What are you going to do with your money? What are you going to do with your resources and your abilities? So think of it. One guy was, said, Bill, I've gone for seven interviews. I'm 59. I haven't gotten any of them. And so we had this, and I'm going to remember on your podcast, Ronan, all, all the stories where I look brilliant as yeah. a coach and forget all the other times when I, I don't look so smart. But this one particular one, I said, I said, when you're having a really good day inside, how do you feel? He said, I feel like I'm 25 when I'm feeling great. I said, well, let's, let's approach the next interview like you're 25. If you were 25, how would you approach this interview? And as he went quiet for a while. He said, well, I would read this, I would do this, I would do this, this, this. He called me five weeks later and said, I got the job. I just went in with a different mindset. I went in, like, I just attacked the job. And my passion, my enthusiasm, the amount of homework I did, I wasn't trying to not lose the job. I was really excited. And a lot of times with tech, even if you feel six months behind in a certain industry, just attack it. Yeah. You can catch. That's the bad news is you can be behind quickly, but the good news is you can catch up quickly. Yeah, but it depends. If you're behind in America, you could be ahead in in, in, in Europe because we're all we're in different cycles. Yeah, and sometimes the other way around. Yeah, you know, Americans we can be very arrogant, thinking, oh, we can we can learn a lot from APAC, from AMIA. So, yeah. Wow, you're really ahead of us. This company's ahead of us. This person's ahead of us. So if we have that humble, I think personally we should all be more humble. Yeah. Collectively, I think we should all be more arrogant about what we're capable of when we work together. Yeah. If you really listen and work as a team, we're capable of more than we think. But don't get ourselves in our own way. We, we're all experts. We're all learners. Yeah, I think it this way that basically you eat the cheese. There's cheese in the corner and you're all trying to get it in the maze. And the ones who get the cheese who find it each are the ones who are actually going to grow. And the ones who don't find it because after all, they don't care anymore. They, they figured, I can't get, I, I don't, I'm sick of, of looking for this cheese and looking to the maze. I'm going to stay here and be, and be happy where I am in my own little world. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Is that what you think is off, Fiona? Or would you? I, where my mind went was that we had an amazing event in Dublin a few weeks back to launch our Career Essentials for Women program. And we had 25 incredible female leaders in the room. And of course, the concept of imposter syndrome came up. But what, as I'm learning now, is everybody has imposter syndrome. I used to always think of it as in a, in yeah. a female thought process. 
but somebody explained it to me that day around yeah. that actually if you don't feel it then you're not growing and you're not changing you're not moving as an individual yeah. so actually look at it as a really really positive yeah. step in terms of where you're going and what you're doing yeah I was saying because I was saying basically don't look back always look forward it's like if somebody's doing a 100 meter relay like a few years ago I was at a talk by a guy Chris Akabusi he, 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 he was a former British athlete and did a 400 meter relay in, uh, in Barcelona in 1992 and America had this great team and he, 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 in his one scene when Michael Johnson was passing the baton and he looked back says the moment that person looked back we knew we'd won because when you're looking back that's it that, that's when you know that's a flaw looking back and you don't do that and then they said we won the we won the gold medal because we, we didn't do that we just kept looking forward I love that image I was uh, with my wife kids were on vacation in Hawaii and we went to Diamond Head and we were getting a lesson yeah. and I was so proud of myself we paid the guy $75 give me a lesson and Maria said I'll sit on the, on the beach with the kids and I got up the first time on the board, and I was so proud of myself, and I asked him, I said, you know, how many people get up the first time thinking I'm gonna brag? He's like, yeah. Bill, almost everybody. It's like an 11 foot board, it's like yeah. an aircraft carrier. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things he said, don't look down. Yeah. He said, when you look down, you're gonna fall. When you look ahead, look to where you're going. I was like, dude, that's so deep. You, know, yeah. you should be writing leadership books. <laughs> And then Maria said, well, that's kind of cool. I had a little time left in the lesson. So she came out, she got right up and had fun. And the kids are like little monkeys. They jumped up on the board and they had fun. But it's really, sometimes it's that simple. It's look where you're going, not yeah. where you are, and enjoy the journey, enjoy the ride. Like I see a Hollywood movie and someone's trying to escape and they're going over, over a small ledge and they're told, don't look down. And then if you, if, if you look down, it's over. And the same with business. You gotta keep looking, focus on one way and that's it. Only look back when you've got to where you want to be. Yes. Yeah, and, and there are times you want to appreciate, yeah. times you want to celebrate. Hey, we got a big deal, we worked hard, let's really have a moment to celebrate. There's also times you want to get angry. Yeah. So this sometimes people get upset and they and the anger kills their performance. Uh, two good sports examples. So one was a professional golfer. He said, whenever I hit a bad shot, I give myself to, to be angry and for three seconds only. I can curse, I can slam the club, I scream. But if I get... If I don't get angry, I don't get it out of my system. Yeah. But if I'm angry more than three seconds, it'll affect the next shot and my whole round will go yeah. downhill. A professional football player, American football, not the real football, yeah. I always guess it's not the real one. But he said, after a game, we have kind of an unwritten rule yeah. that if we lose the game, we're supposed to be upset for 20 minutes. Yeah. In fact, if the rookies don't get upset, we find them. Yeah. He's like, what does that mean? He said, well, let's say we're the Giants and we lost to the Cowboys and we just lost a tough game in front of 100,000 fans and 10 million people watching on camp. He said, if we're walking off the field and the rookie jumps up and down, who wants to go out tonight? Let's have fun. Let's go do it. Yeah. We say, we find him mm -hmm. because we want to teach him this is what we do for a living. Yeah. You got to take this seriously. You got to be, you got to, don't, don't don't think this doesn't matter. But, so they go in the locker room, everybody's upset, they kick the stool, they do different things for 20 minutes, and then almost like there's a secret signal, yeah. and everybody starts to relax. And I, and I, he, he said, and you, you know why we have to do that? I said, no. He said, because we've all learned that in, in another few minutes, 
we're going to see our family. Yeah. We're going to see our kids. We're going to see our cousins who came to the game. And it's not fair to take it out on the kids. Yeah. So we have 20 minutes to be angry, take it seriously, but then let it go. So when, whether it's celebrating, there's a right time, or whether it's being frustrated, there's a right time. Get it out, let it go, and then move on and be happy yeah. again. But also make sure that when you let it, go, let it out, you don't do it, everyone sees letting it out. you got to make sure that it's not seen as a, everyone sees, sees, sees this all the time of you doing this. Right. You don't so, have to do it all the time. Yeah. But it's also okay to let people know you're human. Yeah, I know, but if you do it, yeah, but if you're basically a golfer and you're always on TV and you're, and you're always seeing you kicking your golf club, everyone knows you for that. And at, at times, oh, there, there is a, the golf rebel. It can be good to a certain extent, but if it's done too much, people get bored of it. Oh, he's just acting out again. Yeah, I would agree. And Colin had that reputation, the Irish golfer who was, came up, had come over to the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit be human, be you, but also the way you express it can matter. Yeah. You know, for example, cursing at the fans or throwing your club, that's not cool. But just being able to say, the other thing that's interesting is the way you trick yourself. Jack yeah. Nicholas was one of the greatest golfers of all time, and he never thought he hit a mistake. Yeah. Everything was positive for him, and he was always able to channel everything. One, one writer had been covering him for years and said Jack would never admit a mistake, ever. And so it's just the way his brain worked. And there was once he was in the middle of the fairway, the green is out here, and he shanked one straight into the woods. Yeah. Straight. I mean, it couldn't possibly yeah. worse. He said, I finally got him. I'm going to go out to him with the round. He said, all right, Jack, that one shot from the fairway yeah. to the 14th green, was that a mistake? He's like, no, I just pushed it a little bit to the right. <laughs> I think it was an opportunity. But in his mind, yeah. it was he focused on the positives, and for positives work. For me, it's an opportunity. When you make it's Mistake of opportunity, and you, you're always going to find a way of, of making mess. Because if you come to that situation again, I've been there before. This is what I did last time, so I know what to do. Whereas if you're if you're somebody like who's in a businessman and you never had a made a mistake in your life, suddenly you make a big mistake, and because along your life you had haven't made them, how do you correct it? You don't know what to do. Whereas along the way, if you made mistakes, you know, oh, I did this once. Or my, or my colleague did it once and this is how we solved it so I know what to do to solve it and that's where I think training we're biased of course but can help you with those shortcuts yeah. because you can start eight different companies and they all fail and you finally get one that's right or you can also do the role plays learn the science learn the techniques so you can you can get it done much faster yeah. you can be better at public speaking and managing people and running things and you can be much better much faster and it's more fun like you were saying if you wrote books eight books is one's going to sell. Now, there's some books before that, probably books that you're slowly getting better at what you're doing. And people, once you've got eight books sold, the other seven will sell because of the eight books. Exactly. Yeah. They'll come back and you're building your brand, you're building your audience, but you're also writing for others, not yourself. Yeah. It's not just, I want to look cool and show everybody how smart I am. That's part of it. We're all human. But it's really about, I want you to hear the story. I want to help you with your story. And the more you are giving to an audience, you're giving to a customer, I really want you to have this product or this service because yeah. it's going to help you, then you're really on the right track. Because I guess, because if you're just trying to promote only yourself, that's not going to look good for you in the long term. In the short term, people will buy into that because think, oh, you're some girl. But long term, they realize that what you're selling is actually only you and nothing else. And doesn't that come back to that? Like, maybe you're somebody who's grown up, privileged life, went to Ivy League school and college and everything else, and you've had the best of everything. But because of that thing, how can I get that? Do what you're doing when you've had the best of everything in your whole life. I'll give you a sales technique, but first let me make it a question. 
think of a product or service, both of you, yeah. Ronan and Fiona, that you find yourself recommending to other people, it's almost like you just can't help yourself. You're yeah. telling friends and family you should, it could be a vacation spot, a restaurant, a tech gadget, yeah. an app, a software where you catch yourself telling people, you've got to try this, it's yeah. awesome. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Restaurant. Which one? Uh, I'd say when I go to, I go meet friends for lunch once a week, we go to a restaurant called Cafe Topless, Thailand place, and this guy from college, meet up once a week, every Wednesday, and have a chat about what I went through, straight lunch, and be there for hours, setting the world to rights. Very good. What comes to your mind? Uh, our local coffee uh, takeaway shop at the train station. What's the name of it? doesn't need a name it's a train station yes. coffee people, people shop people know where to get it yeah, if, you, if you tell them Sam, the, sorry, if Sam. you just, just tell them the, the location of where it is or what station is that yes. then they'll know you don't need to know yes. the name it's not a train station so when we have certain products and services like that yeah. we, we recommend them with confidence because we think we're doing you a favor yeah. if, I, if, you, if we go try the restaurant you told, told us about you, you feel like we'll be glad yeah. so if there's an app that people really like Waze is an interesting one for me so if you, what do you use for GPS here? Google Maps? Google Maps. Google Maps. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Waze is one of the big ones in the U.S., W-A-Z-E. And I have no affinity for it. Yeah. They're not a client or anything. But what's fascinating for me is there are 30,000 volunteer coders yeah. for Waze. 30,000. Yeah. People, they are driving down the street, and they're seeing on the map, oh, the stop sign's over here. It should be over here on the map. They go home, they get in their code, and they fix it. And they have six levels of coders. Yeah. So my friend uh, Jimmy Wales started Wikipedia. Yeah, I'm thinking of that as well. You know, there are people who want to help, but for them, they're doing, they're doing, they like helping. They like yeah. making things better. And the company's smart enough to tap them, but it's a win-win. They, they get to do something they like doing. What's funny at the moment is there's a, a, an app called News Guardian that tells you what websites and newspapers online are, are good to trust. And one of them recently decided the Daily Mail could no longer be trustworthy and trusted Wikipedia more than that, even though Wikipedia is something that you can go edit and change and, and add, add funds to the like There's an Irish band at the moment that are kind of getting big in the UK and they call the drummer a gimp. So this is, and, and uh, so and this is bad memories in this guy is a gimp. And that's what's, what's gimp mean? Well, gimp is somebody who wears... Um, is that good or bad? No, bad. No, you wear like a leather mask. Okay. And that kind of stuff. But anyway, it's a... Uh, that was trusted more to the website than the Daily Mail, which has got probably the biggest uh, hits online of any website at the moment. That, that's it. People trust authenticity. Yeah. They don't like fake. No. No. So anything else? We had one of, your, uh, one of your folks from Mumford & Sons called the other day. Yeah. Super nice guy. Men love it. Is it an Irish band? No, they're English. They're English. Yeah. I'm not a huge music fan. Yeah, they do kind of folk music. They're English. Yeah. They're getting pretty big in America. One of the guys is married to the actress, Carrie Mulligan, lead singer. So. Love, lovely guy. Yeah. Well, what else would your tech audience like to know? Well, uh, I guess you, you've covered a lot anyway. Basically, one more thing. Why were you here in Ireland? Well, we're growing very fast yeah. here, and it's all Fiona's fault and Martin Garvey. Yeah. Working with some of the biggest companies, and our mission is to train the world. Yeah. And Ireland is really one of the hottest countries in the world for tech. 
for entrepreneurialism, yeah. for innovation. It's really a hotbed for everybody. So every big company likes to do cool stuff here. We like to do cool stuff here. So as those companies are growing and they want to raise their communication skills, their sales skills, we humbly love to help them. So those of us who are in other parts of Own the Room around the world, we have 65 coaches. As we come through, we love to work with the team here. Because yeah, I guess at times, if you, you think you know it all when you don't. I mean, I know that every day when I wake up, I'm learning everything new, new of your life. I've learned things like, I'll come today from this podcast learning more than I knew yesterday. And tomorrow when I'm doing something else, I'll learn more than I already know. So I'm always learning. Well, Ronan, we're going to give you a special code and invite you. You don't need it because you're such a great yeah. communicator already. Thank you. But we do events every month or two in Dublin where companies can send people to try it out. Yeah. And it's very interactive. It's very fast-paced. You're on camera six times in the first 19 minutes. Yeah. And you're laughing. You're having fun. And all of a sudden, every time on camera, you see yourself getting better and better and better and say, wow, I can get really good at this stuff. It's not rocket science. Yeah. It can be fun. So if you ever want to come as our guest or you want to invite a friend, we, we want to train the whole world. So we love, with your audience, anything we can do to be helpful, we'd love to do it. That'd be great. Thanks so much for that. Thanks so much, Bill. Thanks so much. Fiona, have a great day. Thank you. Perfect.